excuse me, the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. I hope. Stand for the reading of God's Word. Well, just stay seated a minute. Um, as you know, Malachi was written after the Babylonian captivity. And after coming back to the land as promised by the Lord that they would, they've rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt the wall, as the uh, Maya, as you remember, as that book records that for us. And um, I think this is it. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. And um, it wasn't long, and it's a sad commentary on the Old Testament church. It's a sad commentary on the church today as we see so many churches that start out so well and over time become liberal. And it's that happened with the old Southern Presbyterian Church. It happened with the Northern Presbyterian Church. And I don't know how many of you realize this, but the old uh, Northern Church uh, ordained a man who denied the deity of Christ. And there was a man in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church who led the case against him. It was called the Caseman case. And uh, it, the, the ordination stood, you know. Why bother? If you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe the gospel, if you don't believe Christ is God in the flesh, then why bother? But we see as we study church history that those kind of things happened again and again and again. You would think uh, the people in Malachi's day would have been very faithful to God because they had come back after being in captivity. Uh, Seventy years prior, they were captured. They were led away by Nebuchadnezzar. You would think that remembering that and remembering God's faithfulness to bring them back home and to remember the leadership of men like Ezra and Nehemiah, that they would have been faithful to the Lord, but they're not. And how easily we fall into habits and patterns that are not pleasing to the Lord. Please stand uh, as we read tonight Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. Let's hear the word of the Lord. A son honors his father, a servant, his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest. You despise my name, but you say, have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you with such a gift from your hand. Will you show favor? Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that you were one among you. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors 
that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. In other words, he's saying here, someone closed down the temple. Rather than letting them worship improperly, rather than letting them go in and offer polluted sacrifices upon the altar, someone be faithful and just simply shut the doors and lock the building. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. From, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you have refrained it. And when you say that the Lord's name is, uh, the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised, but you say, what a wearisome, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring in, uh, as you bring your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows and yet sacrifice to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word and ask the Lord to really examine our hearts this evening to see if there are occasions in our own life when we really uh, behave in such a way as if we are, for all practical reasons, despising God in the way that we approach him. Uh, let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord's Day evening. We would see and desire to see, O Lord, this building filled because people's hearts were so full of a desire to be with your people and to worship you. O God, send revival to Southwest Church. Send revival to our city. Send it, O Lord, to the world, we pray. Work, O God, that we may see voices united and people in all sincerity singing praises to our great God and our great King and our great Savior. We pray for your grace tonight that you would be with me as I preach, that you would be with the congregation as they listen. And, Father, help us, we pray, that we may examine our hearts to see if we are described here. These people were people who professed faith, and yet they were so uh, lazy and so uh, careless in their worship that it was not pleasing to you. Oh, God, hear us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, when I was in Scotland many years ago, one thing that became apparent to me, and I think it became apparent to Melinda, and that was how disrespectful children were to their parents. Uh, they're disrespectful here, I'm sure, but it just seemed to be uh, prevalent everywhere in Scotland. And there were no correcting on the part of the parents. They didn't discipline their children. And... It is simply a matter of being rude in so many cases. When I was in seminary, I was sitting on the back row by the back door by a man, uh, a student that I knew well. And uh, Dr. Uh, Rayburn was teaching our class on worship, I think it was. And I whispered something to Jim Drexler, who was sitting next to me, and we kind of... Uh, it was about something that Dr. Rayburn had said. It was about the class. And Dr. Rayburn commented on that in front of the class. And um, I was grief-stricken. 
I loved this man. And I had offended him. So the class was over. Jim left. I went down to talk to Dr. Raber. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, David, it's just rude. It was. And so I um, said something to Jim. I think you should go apologize to Dr. Raber. And he said, different attitude than mine. He did not think it necessary to do so. But I did. Because rudeness uh, is something that uh, uh, always displays itself in disrespect and dishonor. Can't tolerate rudeness. So here in the Old Testament church, these priests are being rude. They're being disrespectful. And they are being rude and disrespectful to the God who has redeemed them, the God who has made them. And it's interesting that what is the problem here, it's not their daily lives. It's not how they conduct themselves at home. The concern here is how they conduct themselves in worship, how they go about worshiping God. Let me tell you this. You walk in this door every Sunday. God watches and God listens every Sunday. As the angels gather around and their angels are here this evening and they see God's people, they like to see them worshiping in all sincerity. And they like to see them worshiping with joy and they like to see them worshiping with love in their hearts and when we come into worship, and again, we're dealing with that at the end, more the end of the sermon, we ask ourselves, have I come prepared? Have I come equipped to worship in a way that's pleasing to God? Well, these priests of all people who were supposed to be the leaders among the people of God were worshiping and conducting themselves in worship in such a way uh, that it was very displeasing to the Lord. So we want to see tonight what the problem was, and then again ask ourselves, are we ever guilty of this? And it is that God desires for those who call upon his name to show him respect and honor and worship. We're talking about worship now. Again, we're not talking about home life. We're not talking about... Your friends, we're talking about how people conduct themselves in worship. And the first thing is, respect to God begins with a recognition of his greatness. As we come into the worship service, you know, and people do this, uh, and I'm not fussing about anything or anybody, but we get here and we talk about football, and we get here and we talk about politics, and we get here and we talk about this and that, and uh, we're not here to do those things. We're here to worship. And if we left our homes and we're in our cars and we're contemplating, we're getting ready to go in and meet with God's people and we're going to hear the word of God read and we're going to sing praises to the name of our God, it would so help us to be more folks when we came in to worship. Well, understanding the greatness of our God is the first step in having respect for God in worship. And what did these priests do? Well, it says that they uh, despised God's name. Well, that's quite a horrible thing, isn't it? You say to someone, you despise my name, that means basically that they hate you. Names are significant in the Bible. 
Uh, just like today, you talk about someone's name, it usually has to do with their reputation. Eve's name, a mother of all, uh, uh, Adam, Adam in Hebrew means man. Uh, Abraham, a father of many nations. Uh, and then the Bible describes names to God. The names of God are, uh, the name of God constituted, I'm reading this quote, constituted a difficulty for human thought. God is incomprehensible, infinitely uh, exalt, infinitely exalted above all that is temporal, but in the name he, des, uh, he descends to us that we might understand something of his character, something of his nature. And the names of the Old Testament that God had, Elohim means being strong, Yahweh, the self-existent one. I love that. When Moses is told to go back and talk to Pharaoh. Moses, the reluctant preacher, I can't talk. <laughs> My first, I probably told you all this before. I had to take speech to graduate from USN. Had to have speech, couldn't graduate. I went to my first speech class as a freshman, went one day and never went back. Took an F. Didn't go by and talk to her, didn't drop the class, just took an F in it. Because I knew if I went to talk to her, that she would try to make me stay. Ended up taking it eight years later. I was on the extended program in undergraduate school. Uh, and the guy that taught me, I went to high school with him. And so I took it, and I made an A. But you talk about God's grace. That's Moses. I can't speak. Uh, send somebody else to do this. I don't want to go. The reluctant. And so when God tells him, when Moses says, okay, I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh, who are you? What's your name? Yahweh. Yahweh. I am that I am, the self-existent one. What a description of God, the self-existent one. My being depends upon no one. My life depends upon nothing. I am the living God, the self-existent one, Yahweh. In the New Testament, there are two names that are used for God. One is Theos, and the other is Kyrios. I'm sure you all know that Theos means God, and Kyrios means Lord. And the names describe or disclose something about God. In John 17:26, Jesus' prayer, he uses the name of God there, and it describes God concerning doctrine. And then in Matthew 7, 22, we talked about the authority of God. You remember in Acts, they said, quit, quit speaking in the name of this God. Because the God you're preaching has authority. He claims exclusive rights to us and exclusive worship from us. And we don't want to hear about this God. So quit talking about him. So again, it shows authority there about the character and person of God. Well, here in the Malachi, in the, in the uh, text in Malachi, uh, he says they have despised his name. Well, that is quite an insult. It means that they dishonor God. It means they disrespect God. And these are priests. If anyone should respect and honor God, it would be the priests who are leading the worship. And so basically what we learned here is they simply did not have a very uh, proper attitude about God's greatness. Did they fear God? No. No, they didn't fear God. Had they feared God, they would have not have even considered worshiping, offering a polluted, uh, uh, a diseased animal on the altar. 
All the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament pointed to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. That's why they were not to be diseased. They were not to be sickly. They were not to be blind. They were to be perfect. No blemish on them whatsoever. And they were to offer those to the Lord on the altar. And the priests were doing the exact opposite. And so our attitude toward God will depend upon how we approach him in worship and in life. They had no regard for God's commands. If you think little of God, you think little of his commands, you think little of his person, uh, it's going to show in the way that you approach him. And it showed again in the priest as far as how they worshipped him. Now understand this. The altar was very significant in the Old Testament. Why? That's where the sacrifices were made. Again, the sacrifices that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they had an understanding that what they're putting on here, what they're doing here, is representing the uh, covering of sins... This is a very important sacrifice, and God has commanded how we are to go about it. And you think that they would have been very, very careful in how they approached the altar, but they were not. They're giving no thought about God's command, no thought about God's character, no thought, no thought, of, no thought about what God desires. The priest had failed. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, it seemed, and it seemed like in this country too, if there is ungodly leadership, that's the way the country goes. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. Ungodly kings and the people became and soon followed after ungodliness. Well, here the priest was supposed to be setting an example for godliness. We're simply not doing it. They were offering diseased animals. They were failing in leadership. They were failing in repentance. They were failing in their instructions to the people. They were failing as an example of commitment. So again and again and again, they were failing. They served God unfaithfully. They were simply going through the motions. God's challenge in verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? It is evil. It's a rhetorical question. Because they have been commanded to do otherwise. And when you offer these that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And then he says this, present them to your governor as a gift. And see if he will accept them, says the Lord of hosts. The idea is, as God would speak to them, You're treating me with less regard than you do your political rulers that rule over you in the city. You have more respect for them than you do for me, is what God is saying to them here. Well, they knew better, but they simply didn't care. They offered him a morsel. They offered him a tidbit. It's kind of like tipping the hat to God. I use that phrase sometimes and talk about people to come into worship, tipping the hat to God. It's something you're supposed to do. It's something we're commanded to do. So we come and we tip our hat to God and we go home and forget about it for the rest of the week until it's time to come back the next Lord's Day. That's the attitude these priests had. 
the way that we go about our church activities, the way that we go about uh, our worship to God, it says a great deal about our attitude toward God. It really does. And if we have a high respect for him and a high respect for his church, it is going to affect the way that we come to church. and It's going to affect the way that we conduct ourselves in church. So here are some questions. Do we offer to God a morsel of our money just enough to please him? That should get him off my back. Because by nature we're greedy, and by nature we don't want to depart with it. And we'd rather see someone go without that we could help than to offer more. I'm not saying that you do that. I'm asking the question. Are we lovers of money indeed and in fact? And if the church called on us to dig deeper, would we do it? We've had to quit supporting some missionaries. Are we willing to dig deeper to change that so we can support our missionaries? Do we also offer a tidbit of our time? Sunday morning at 1 o'clock, I mean at 11 to 12, that's plenty of time for me to give to God. After all, I have a family, I have a life, I have to work, I'm busy. That should be sufficient. And yet when you take vows to join the church... He promised to support the church and its horsemen work to the best of your ability. Is that enough? And perhaps go an extra mile and come to Sunday school. You know, just how committed are we? You know, and my attitudes in preparing sermons. You know, I should delight. <laughs> There's no greater calling than preaching the gospel. There's really not. Uh, you think about it. It's not an easy task, and I strive sometimes with a great difficulty to get the words written down on the page. I hate, hate typing. I can't type a line without making several mistakes. Jess flies over the keys. It's just disgusting. I'm terrible at it, and I can't improve. I, I, I can't. I've, I've, I took typing in high school. I couldn't type in high school. I can't type today. But as I go through that and I struggle with it, I need to have an attitude of delight and of prayer. Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to construct something that will communicate to the people that's true to the text. That's the main thing you want to do. Be true to the text. So the attitude of the pastor as he performs and gets ready to perform uh, to uh, his service to the Lord, needs to be that that is godly as well to put forth the effort to do what God calls me to do. So not a morsel of energy then, but hard work and labors, a morsel of time, a morsel of our attention. It's amazing that so many people find it easy to sleep and worship. I have been to places, and it's grueling, I know, uh, when someone's speaking and you're tired and you're sleeping, it's all you can do to stay awake. And I remember when I was a little boy, I was sitting next to my aunt in worship, and I kept sliding over in the pew. I'd wake up when I was falling, but I kept falling asleep. And I've done better since I've gotten older. I don't do that quite as much. But it's like on Saturday night, you know Sunday's coming. And you know you're going to be sitting, listening, and you know you need rest. 
It's kind of like people get up on Sunday morning, I'm too tired. <laughs> like it hits you by surprise. Uh, no, you get ready to come to worship on Saturday evening if you have to go to bed or to go to bed earlier. We do what's necessary because we want to be, uh, we want to be faithful to the Lord and we want to be those who are not despising His name by coming and sleeping through worship. Uh, then how do we come when we come to worship? Do we become angry? Are we angry at times? A friend of mine, Steve Justly, talked about, I think I've told you all this before, you know, families fighting and carrying on, people fussing at one another, and they get out there, hey, how you doing? Like everything's been great all morning, and they're doing very, very fine. So do we come and are we angry when we come uh, to worship? Um, are we bitter about something when we come to worship? And listen to this. It doesn't, leave, it doesn't stay outside the door. When you come angry, when you come bitter, you can't just take it off and leave it outside the door like you take off your coat and hang it up outside. It doesn't happen that way. It's a matter of the heart. And you can ask this. Is this glorifying to God for me to come to worship angry? No. Is it glorifying for God to me to come to worship bitter of soul? No. Uh, is it glorifying for God to me to come looking for entertainment and worship? And the answer is no. I was talking to someone, I can't remember what it was, some church did some goofy things. But I said, okay, we'll have the clowns in next Sunday. We'll bring the clowns, we'll get the kids up here, we'll have the clowns do some little stuff, and let that be a part of a worship service. No. That would be like they'd be writing about me in the Bible, just stuff like that, talking about how wrong it was. So then what helps us then to be motivated is an attitude as we come into worship to recognize that our God wants to be honored and worship, and he is the God of forgiveness. So when we come inappropriately, we recognize there's forgiveness for that, and that our God always welcomes us. This is an amazing thing to me. I think if we're honest, we can say sometimes we're pretty poor Christians. Right? We are. I'd like to think we're all righteous and good and all that, but we're not always righteous and always good and all that. We're simply not. And there are times when uh, we really dishonor our Lord. There are times when we dishonor him in worship even. But as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, we're called to love one another. We're called to love one another deeply. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that should show itself every Sunday in worship. That we love God and that we love one another. We don't want to be guilty of these priests. Just not caring. It was really... Uh, in a word, I had it written down. What did it, where did I write it? It was a new word. I just learned it. And I can't find it. Uh, it would have changed your life. Here it is. Thoughtlessness. <laughs> we come thoughtlessly to worship without really, really comprehending what it is that we are doing. And that's why these priests, they just didn't care. That's why they're doing this. They simply didn't care. And so, again, how is it that we come to worship in an appropriate fashion? Well, uh, our attitude toward God will um, be determined by our recognition of his holiness, his greatness. Uh, Our attitude toward God will determine how we come to worship. 
and our attitude toward God is encouraged to uh, be one of respect and awe when we recognize that God is the source of our forgiveness and of our help. And it's interesting to recognize and to note God desires our worship. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. He desires people to worship him. I was listening to, I think it was um, John Piper or MacArthur. I can't remember one of those guys. And one of them said that he had a problem. Uh, and I, uh, don't quote me. Uh, I'm not sure which one it was, but it's one of those guys. It's pretty well known with the idea that God wants us to worship him. He said that when he was first becoming a Christian, he said he had difficulty. It seemed like God was prideful. And then he came to realize the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the grace of God. And it's quite appropriate that he should be worshipped. And he delights in, he created us to worship him. This morning, as, as I was talking about, uh, as we're going through that text in Ephesians in the first chapter, that the consummation of the ages, the end of the time when we get our inheritance from the Lord, uh, God's doing all this to give us that so we can worship him. Free from sin, free from the divisions that come into our lives, free from any type of distraction, free from sin. That's where we're going to be one day. That's where we're headed. To be all glorified. The dead being raised. The sea giving up its dead. I told uh, Winston I want to be buried at sea. I just have this fear of being underground. It just bothers me. I don't guess I'll care, but I don't know. And I found out they sink you to the bottom of the ocean. They put weights on you way down there deep. I thought they just float around. But no, that's not the way it works. They sink you to the bottom. On that day, no matter where you are, your body will be reconstituted and you'll be put back together, only glorified, not in any way given to sin and disease and sickness. That which is perishable shall put on the imperishable. As great a God as we have uh, who has redeemed us, let's see to it that when we come to worship, we're not as these priests who dishonor God, but we honor him in our attitude. In the way that we focus, in the way that we love both God and one another, in the way that we delight in praising our great King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text this evening from Malachi. And we see a warning here for how easily we can slip into disrespect and laziness and thoughtlessness in our worship. Pray, O oh God, for pastors in churches today that they would be faithful in studying your word and writing sermons and in preparing and preaching those sermons that you would raise up men to be faithful to delivering your word. These churches, Lord God, were the, nothing more than a pep rally uh, for men that you would cause there to be revival there. And bring revival here, we pray. But, oh God, we ask that where the gospel is not preached, that those doors might be locked. Or you would grant, oh Lord, that there would be repentance and a change. Lord, we long to see Christ upheld, his name upheld, his honor upheld. And Father, hear us, we pray, and grant that we would not be like the, the uh, churches, uh, the church was in the days of Malachi. We pray in Christ's name, amen.